Hello and welcome to episode two of the Hashtag Product Design Podcast. For those of you who don't know or couldn't guess by the title, this is a series of talks where I'll be picking the brains of industry experts exploring different topics within product and design. I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Shashi Thandra and today we'll be exploring the two main topics of product management and product designer relationships and also the hiring process of product managers. Shashi, again, pleasure having you on here. Um, Please could you just start by giving a quick overview of you and your career so far? Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me on. I'm really excited about the conversation. So personally, a quick bio and then kind of run through highlights. Uh, so I was born in India and I lived there until I was nine. Uh, but I moved to the U.S. at that point and uh, lived in Detroit for that time and went to school there and did everything. But culturally and everything I say and speak and everything I do is very, very American. Uh, and fundamentally, what that means for me is like I'm very, very optimistic about the future. That's that's really what Uh, I did a doctorate in uh, literature and culture. I decided to, uh, I taught in Detroit and really enjoyed that uh, experience. I really love building and helping people develop. It's been a core passion of mine the entire time. Uh, But uh, I wanted to work in teams. The humanities generally has a lone researcher model. And for me, building in teams is a lot more significant, a lot more uh, close to my core powers. And I wanted to do that. So I went into uh, tech. I went into worked at Wells Fargo Advisors. It's kind of the major highlights, uh, enterprise setting. But we did have a chance to build something really cool—a robo advisory platform from the ground up, which was a lot of fun. Great partnerships across. A lot of a lot of excitement. I got recruited into the product team and worked there to uh, run the mobile application. That was also a really interesting experience because you're working within constraints of the enterprise, but still trying to serve a really diverse range of uh, customers. And that was that was really interesting and where design and accessibility actually played a major role. So hopefully we may be able to chat about that. Yeah. The uh, And then moved to Germany because my wife is German and we have, we have our five-year-old. And yeah. <laughs> So did that, uh, worked at Deposit Solutions most recently, and uh, we actually launched in the U.S., which is a funny, leave the U.S., go south of the U.S., or build for the U.S., <laughs> uh, but it was a, that was a really, really significant experience, went through the pandemic, all the ambiguities of that, and we still launched in the U.S., did a lot of iterations and kind of got a lot more ma- market traction there. Um, it was really significant. And th- yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely, man, definitely, and obviously uh, Deposit Solutions being uh acquired or merged with uh with raisin recently <laughs> uh, yeah. one european champion is the has been the uh lighthouse in that in that merger and that's been that's a really really right idea i mean a really unique value proposition really unique in the market a chance to actually do something significant mm. in the us which is not something that very many european fintechs can claim to do right so yeah yeah for sure obviously really really exciting both businesses and uh, they're doing extremely well at the moment <laughs> um but yeah so to jump in head first straight into it um first topic we obviously wanted to discuss was i think uh, a, a big topic in across product re- re- really because i think um the relationship between product managers and product designers is is very key a lot of the time you know the, the team structures that we're seeing these days it's heavily cross-functional collaboration between product managers and, and designers so i think it's a key area to discuss so i mean first and foremost what what do you believe to be a good uh, or a great relationship between uh, designers and product managers 
Yeah, it's it's you're right. One of the most foundational uh, parts of the product relationship right now. So I, when I say product relationship, I think of product development. So design, uh, technology, marketing, all the other kind of pieces that go into it. But design specifically, I really look for co-ownership. I mean, I think a healthy relationship means these uh, kind of bullet point descriptions of the product owner manager being a CEO of the product is like okay, but CEOs are always in the collaboration with a lot of others. That's why there's an entire C-suite, there's an entire advisory yeah, board, yeah. all of that. So a product designer needs to be exactly that, right? A co-owner, uh, a somebody who brings a unique and disciplinary perspective to things, but also brings a really strong user perspective in ways that challenge any given solution, right? So I've been in situations where I've fallen in love with my own solution and wanted to kind of keep moving that forward. And then my best designers were like, yeah, I get it, but like, but like, what do our users actually want? Let's go do some research around it. Let's get some actual data around it. And for me, it's, it's, it's a really healthy challenge. It's something that uh, I really benefited from. I think those are really crucial, uh, crucial relationships. The uh, other thing I want to say about that is that one of the things that has to be a hallmark of this is giving design the space to think greenfield and the space to think uh, genuinely forward, right? The, it cannot be just reactive to things happening, but a very, very forward looking and bring, uh, challenging and bringing in new ideas and solutions into that. That's where you have a dynamic relationship. That's where you have both parties engaging, moving forward, like, you know, otherwise you get stuck, right? You get stuck yeah. in different existing paradigms, existing expectations, et cetera, not moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with both points you've made there. I think um, I think the the startups of the world that we're seeing these days, I think uh, are really focusing on building that type of great cooperative relationship between the, the PMs and the product designers. I think, as you said, you know, sometimes as a PM or, you know, in, in larger businesses from higher up, there becomes an idea and that idea gets so fixated on that designers have no power or influence over saying yeah you know that could work however <laughs> have you actually assessed what the users want um you know have you actually spoken to them you know have you seen anything any trends that you're seeing with competitors you know have you done any competitor analysis to see what's happening so yeah i think that's where some some tension can come between the the relationship sort but as i said i completely agree um so the points that you made uh, obviously it's very important to have these relationships but how do you think <clears throat> how do you think this relationship is built you know what are the core structures to this relationship um that mean this you know you your relationship with the designer is going to be a success yeah i'm going to use uh, a cliche but it's going to be important so the word transparency and trust are uh, kind of keywords there they can become quickly cliches and buzzwords but if you have a real sense of that you are both invested in building in the right thing and going forward, then the ability to actually trust each other and feel like they have the best interest in mind is very, very obvious. And I think this is what happens. I think the same same thing applies for engineering teams as well, right? There can't be, uh, there can't be a bifurcation. There can't, well, in this case, a trifurcation. That's the word, but yeah. And that needs to be really, really fundamentally in place. The Fundamentals of that, that's one of the core uh, parts of the relationship. And the second is about 
transparency and specifically about humility. For me, there's needs to be in my product group, and maybe we may talk about this later, a, a deep sense of curiosity and a deep sense of humility because the design team should be bringing a new discipline and new insights that you just don't know of. And if there's a genuine uh, space and safety to express those things, you have a strong relationship. If there's a sense of I'm taking requirements and executing against those, right? It's yeah. just it's not moving the entire, it's not moving them forward. It's not even moving you forward. It's not moving the product forward. It's just collapsing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> obviously from speaking to a lot of uh, product designers day to day, um i think the big thing about you know it's a very creative role right you know they're very creative people and they are problem solvers essentially you know the whole role is based on on solving problems and coming up with designs that, that solve those issues and i think if you take away that creative side of it where they don't really have influence or can't put forwards their own ideas for things then they're essentially just a a, a visual designer if you like or they just make things look good to, to look at but they don't have influence and i think the business side of the design role has become massive of recent um you know the real business aspect to it of and i think that's where we're seeing the trend of having dedicated research teams now as opposed to just having product designers that do both i think that that separate function of having dedicated researchers to do that part of it is a is a big role that plays in, in them having a huge business impact as designers but um I, I completely agree transparency is key what do you think gets in the way sometimes of that you know these relationships not becoming successful obviously one thing you said there was it becomes requirements based you know you're just passing on messages essentially um and then just saying go you know build it from this um but what else do you think gets in the way sometimes it's it's situational or it's contextual so it's not just a one-to-one -one relationship but the entire matrix in which you're working so if you're in a very sales driven organization if you're in a marketing driven organization you have almost by necessity different pressures and different relationships you have to build in order to do that so at the where it starts to degrade where there's challenges is if you as a product team or as a technology team don't have sufficient support and ability to push back against every feature request that's coming in, right? There's that relationship. It's yeah. like, do this thing in order to close the sale. Um, if you don't have enough support and pushback to be able to do that, then this relationship starts to break down quite a bit, right? Mm. So that's a really, really important challenge. And the second is if there is not the trust that you each the in each other's efforts right in each other's quality of work then you need to that's where you need to have direct conversation you need to have challenges and otherwise you're kind of holding stuff back not yeah. it's just degrading every everywhere yeah. right yeah do you think that egos sometimes get in the way of things um because for me yeah you know for me i speak to a lot of product designers a lot of product managers the market itself doesn't come across to me too much as being an egotistical environment, right? I think a lot of a lot of product managers, a lot of product designers are all very open people, again, creative. They want to achieve great things in their life. You know, I come from a sporting background myself, so I've been around <laughs> around uh, egos for sure. Um, but do you think sometimes that ego can play a part in that? Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak personally. The yeah. Example I just mentioned earlier where I've gotten caught up in my own uh, solution is precisely that, right? Is mm. that I, I figured something out. Oh, okay, <laughs> you didn't, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's a really important part of it. But this is why um, 
curiosity and humility are so fundamental to how you work and what you're going to bring to the table that this is the this is the absolute part of it as you said i haven't seen so much of that going forward mm. but there's different ways an ego can manifest right which is what i said about stuck uh, being yeah, stuck, sure. in solutions, uh, stuck in methodologies right or not being able to feel like you have enough space in an organization to actually flex any powers in which you're it's the opposite side which is you don't have too much ego you don't have enough confidence to actually propose anything and then your own like professional capabilities mm. Start, uh, not to say deteriorating, but they're yeah. not flourishing, right? They're not mm. blossoming, and that's that's an issue too. Yeah, I think that goes back to your point about creating that transparent environment. I think um, it's about creating an open environment where, no matter what seniority level people are, um, you know, you want your juniors, you want your mid levels to be able to tell the seniors, to be able to tell the leads that they think this should happen or they've had a, had an idea, you know, let's explore it. I think hierarchies are a, <laughs> probably a different uh, conversation altogether um, in companies, but um, yeah, I, I agree with, with what you said there. So I know you had interesting role, um, obviously being director of product at Deposit Solutions, but you had the interesting role of managing designers yourself. So being you know, their direct report, essentially. Um, now you don't come from a, a design background, right? <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to, yeah, just explore that topic really a little bit more in terms of how did you find, you know, how did you find personally managing the designers and how did you work, work in a way where, you know, cause they, they are designers themselves. How did you work with them not coming from a design background to come to efficient, effective design decision-making? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And especially cause designers are very egotistical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a challenge because, but this is a uh, so core to the cross-disciplinary function of a team, mm -hmm. right? You're working with people that have a significant, uh, significantly different and higher expertise than you in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So there's some part of it that where you need to be a, uh, a study and a, and a strong enough stakeholder, a strong enough relationship that you can actually spar with them. Cause if, if a product designer feels like they're consistently educating you, like month after month, it's like <laughs> you're not doing it, right? Yeah. Um, so a really strong sense of humility coming into uh, what they're what they're doing, and but the other thing is there is uh, design proper as a discipline, and then there is the kind of uh, curiosity and the situation you can create in which you can uh, have people flourish too, right? So yes, you're coming from this discipline, but I want you to bring and we talk about new ideas, new concepts, new things that experiences that have wowed you recently, like bringing those kinds of things uh, mm. coming in really kind of help that develop. And in terms of decision-making, this is where it can get really difficult because you do have that moment where it's like, we've generated a lot of ideas but we have that raw moment where you have to say what's in the first iteration, what's in even the second iteration, right? And those that that becomes that can be a tough, tough conversation because mm. you like things, you want to make things happen, you want to produce innovative things, um, and that can be a challenging process. But this is where uh, stepping back and just being uh, one of the one of the big design challenges actually uh, that I had a great insight from uh, the head of UX that I had that that I was partnering with. Uh, her feedback was, as soon as the design leaves your leaves you, it's just in the world and it it has to uh, live on its own merit, 
right? Don't don't get so attached to its own decision, and which means it it can die in a decision making process. It can uh, die in a, a prioritization process. And the best designers I've worked with are completely uh, acknowledge that whatever egos thing or other things are just mm -hmm. kind of a little bit side away because they want the the best thing for the product development, the best thing for going forward, the best thing commercially, the best thing you know, all of those things uh, have to be there. So. Yeah, that's about my sense of it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think it goes back to something you mentioned before about the um, the environment and the context, the the the, the actual company that you're working. In. I think depending on what their their motivators are, I think as you said, with sales driven, with marketing driven, you know, obviously every business is there to make money essentially, but it's how important that making money is to them over you know <laughs> creating an environment where you know designers and product managers have can have a great relationship because their value their their ideas are valued equally um okay great well yeah look that sums up the first topic for sure that we wanted to to cover off now obviously you've been in a hiring position yourself um you have experienced different processes probably based on which company you've been at and which which type of position you're hiring for um now specifically more towards product managers because obviously that's more what you would have been hiring for in in your role um necessarily um what do you look for first and foremost so from let's say first introduction of a cv right what do you look for in that cv to say yeah that product manager looks interesting to me yeah if the one of the things you first noted was the situation in which you're hiring for. So I've been in uh, organizations where delivery has been the first and foremost thing. So if I see a CV that's been uh, heavy on the discovery side, I have to put that to the side because they'll be unhappy in the situation that I have. Mm. In front of, right. So in that kind of situation, I need to look for, let's start with that example. I need to look for somebody who's very delivery focused and, and that, that, so it's got to align to the mm. skill. Mm. Uh, I need to balance that then with what is the longer term vision of this, right? So, okay, they're strong on the delivery side, but if we want to make the entire organization product led, then I need, I need a different balance there versus I don't see any prospect of that happening and I just need to focus on this kind of skill sets going forward. So that initial alignment is absolutely foundational. Uh, the second part of it is I'm actually quite curious during that CV and during the initial conversations about the larger range of interests and other things that they're expressing, right? So if I see on people's CV, I saw somebody's uh, CV the other day that said they were, uh, have been weightlifting for 12 years, mm. are an avid rock climber, or do, do this kinds of things. I'm like, this is somebody who's really engaged in the world. That's wonderful. Mm. You know? like, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, if on the other hand, you have some cliche lines, it can, mm, <laughs> you know, mm. it's a yellow flag, not yeah. a yellow, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's, it's a really interesting point, actually. I think that gets ignored quite often and probably doesn't even get looked at half the time because generally, you know, hiring managers, understandably, have lots of other things to do other than just sit there and screen CVs all day. <laughs> um, but. I think you can tell a lot about a person from, you know, what they write, how they talk about themselves on paper, how they talk about themselves during an interview. And, and of course, what their, what their personal interests are outside of, of their job. Um, how do you, because I've, I've seen a lot of CVs in my time. <laughs> um, now, obviously I know I've, I've worked with you personally on, on a few bits from a, from a CV perspective. Um, I obviously made the point to you about a lot of, 
I think you did it very well initially on your Steve. I think there's a few bits we added, as I mentioned, but I think um, there was points that I made to, uh, to a lot of people that it's about trying to differentiate yourself as much as possible to make you an individual on that bit of paper than as part of the engineering team, the product team, the design team there, because I always say this to everyone, you know, if if you're, let's say you're a product manager, right? Or you're a product designer. So a product designer in a team of eight designers that work at the same company, generally you're all going to be able to write similar things that you're doing or working on, uh, dependent on what product you're working on, but generally your tasks and responsibilities could be outlined as quite similar. But a lot of people miss the key components of the accomplishments during their role and the results of what their work actually was. Um, now it's it's it, it's confusing because you think well you know why wouldn't you show how good you are because it's you're literally that's what you're portraying yourself as to be you know you're interviewing for a role you want to show how good yourself i think it's a it's a case between not wanting to look too boasty or big-headed when you're talking about yourself but also just the fact of not really realizing that you're doing it i think it's very easy to do it on a cv it's very easy to do it on like an introductory interview or something like that because generally they're quite laid back um, and they're relaxed and then when you're asked about you know tell me a little bit more about yourself and your role you just give a very quick snappy general overview of what you've done however pretty much everyone misses out the key parts that makes them stand out from the crowd you know if if you miss out those accomplishments and results that you've had during that time um as i said it's very hard for someone in a hiring situation to say well i don't know what makes this person different to the other seven designers they work with and the other 10 designers that i've got cvs and portfolios for at the minute or something mm -hmm. like that but um what's your what's your take on you know what needs to be included in a cv yeah it's, it's a challenging one, uh, again, a little bit contextual, but one of some of the key things I'm looking for, right, uh, aside from the curiosity and broader range I'm thinking about is, are these people consistently thinking about business outcomes? So there's got to be some kind of dotted line between the work and uh, some kind of commercials, or at the very least, some metrics, proxy metrics that allow you to say, this moved X, Y, or Z, right? And at the moment of writing the CV, that can actually be a difficult thing to do mm. if you're not aware of what you're doing, right? Mm. That's, the, that's one of the key things. And this is where uh, product and design really have, have a strong partnership is not only where you're trying to accomplish for the user, but what are you trying to establish and uh, create an outcome for it, for the business itself, for the product. And if you can uh, demonstrate that on an active basis, you're doing a couple of things. One is, yes, of course, showing that you that you have results and quantifiable, measurable results. But the second is you're also uh, demonstrating that you have a strong ongoing engagement with what we're trying to accomplish holistically, right? It can, it, sometimes you can get kind of a narrowed on a product or a thing, but rather thinking a little bit more holistically about what is, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? You know, overview, if this was your business, what would you be focusing on if you were, yeah. You know, and that's a really important uh, perspective, actually. The the worst CVs I've seen are people who talk about the thing, the deliverables, right? X, Y, or Z, and it's like, yeah. what did that do, right? Yeah, do you know what that exactly. Did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah, it, it leads perfectly on from, from what I mentioned in terms of just missing out the key. As you said, if there's, if there's quantifiable metrics that you can put in the results or the accomplishments, 
great because I think every hiring manager, I think as humans, we if we're reading a page, numbers, percentages, everything stands out. So you instantly get drawn to that anyway. However, it is a reflection of your work and what you've done. I think it's important to more so in interviews, I'd say, um, but in CVs as well, I think it's good to show individual contributions and team contributions i think in interviews it's more important because your cv is personal to you um but generally everyone you're going to be hiring is going to be working in a team of some sort probably um so it's good to show that what's your something came to mind what's your opinion on changing your cv per role that you're applying for so if there's a job description say you're applying for three roles they're all looking for slightly different things but you know you have experience in those certain things do you believe you should change your cv to, and tailor it per role that you're looking for or do you think you should keep the same cv no matter what the role is yeah it's a good question but i for me the situation is about what are the companies you're looking at right so if the three companies are it depends on your level of passion for each, right? So yeah. if I'm applying for, let's say, a tech giant that I really want to be a part for, yes, you should focus on spending yeah, some time yeah. <laughs> on TV and addressing the core problems that you've listed in the JD, everything else, yeah. right? You need to be tailored to that. However, you do need to be conservative and, and uh, smart about the time that you use across the thing. Mm. If I see a CV that has clearly not read the JD at all and yeah. it's just, Intel is just a fire and forget kind of situation that doesn't work. So you got to be careful about how you balance those two things. Sure. But I do believe some of those uh, moments where you have a lot of passion or a lot of interest, you need to yeah. take that. You need to step back and make yeah. that. No, definitely. I think it's an interesting point. I think, yeah, I think it's about prioritizing the the roles that you're going for. I think the ones that you really desperately want and would love, definitely, you know, tailor it as much as you can to the job description. But I think if you're going to be putting together a generic CV for other other um, other companies, it needs to be at least, as we said, a structure where it's not just deliverables that you're showing. It's not just generic tasks and responsibilities that you had. You need to try and make yourself stand out because you know, there's a lot of good people out there but you can't you know someone who doesn't know that you're good who doesn't know you or hasn't ever worked with you won't know that you're good just based off your job title or where you work because you know just because you're let's say i don't know software engineer at amazon for instance right that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be better than someone who hasn't worked at amazon yeah. but i think too many people get sucked into i've worked here which makes me better than other people <laughs> um but yeah that's another topic so in terms of interview process, um, now this is a, a topic that's, I think, quite hot at the moment because of how competitive the market is right now. Um, now, I've obviously worked with a number of businesses. I've seen a lot of different interview processes. Um, some, I have no idea why they are there. <laughs> um, and some are really, really good and effective and efficient. Um, now, from your own personal perspective, I, I think you could probably give examples of your own hiring process and potential hiring processes that you've been in um what do you what do you think the best interview process is for let's say if you're going to hire a pro product manager what do you think the process needs to look like to ensure for one you know that they're the right person for the job but to not waste too much time on on needless interview processes yeah the worst processes i've had are eight rounds um <laughs> ongoing i get the need for validation especially in leadership roles absolutely yeah um, but at that, at some point, you're actually re not only repeating the questions and, and getting multiple answers, but you're also uh, showing a little bit of a disconnect 
between the organization, right? Like, do you guys talk to each other because you just <laughs> ask me the thing or we're talking about similar concepts, right? So um, there's a three kind of major functions for me. One is that I have to be the initial guardrail, let's say, right? No, nobody on the team, nobody else has to, I have to be there at the forefront to be uh, the primary filter. The, the next layer is to validate skill sets. So in this case, case studies and other things have value, but it has to be really time, time constrained, right? Like two yeah. or three days, you know, an absolute maximum of seven days. But just show me pro like thought process. Show me how you're uh, going to address the problem, not this massive <laughs> presentation. It's just way too much time. Uh, especially when you don't comp people from that time. I've seen people who've actually comp people for that. Uh, yeah. mm. That's mm. really, really smart thing to do. Mm. But given the market, as you said, it's just uh, yeah. maybe not possible. Uh, the last thing, at least in terms of process, is that uh, you need to have a dialogue with the broader team. It's such an obvious thing, but I've actually been a part of several leadership processes where that doesn't happen. And it yeah. strikes me as really bizarre, right? It's like, wait, who am I supposed to lead and how? Or in the case yeah. of a designer, who am I supposed to work with and how? How am I supposed to make this decision mm -hmm. about job without knowing who these people are? That just needs to be there. And that needs to be, my ideal process would actually say, the team moment, the waiting on that decision is higher than the others. Because these are the people that have to work with them every single mm -hmm. day on a much closer basis than even I will have to work with people, mm -hmm. right? And that would actually, for me, have a trump card, a moment where everybody else says, hey, this is a green light, and they go, no, like the no stands, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, I think you're right. I think there, there always has to be a skills validation. There's no doubt about that. I think you play a, you play a big risk by not having that in your process because I've, I've seen processes without them, and obviously some have worked out, but many don't, um, and that's could have purely been solved by a skills assessment in that interview process. I think, I think some people, I don't know why some people are very reluctant to do them. Um, you know, I've had, I've had people say to me, look, you know, I'm interviewing a few companies. I, I don't want to do design. I don't have time to do design tasks or something like that. And I mean, if you're going to have that attitude with when you're not even at the company, you know, I, I don't tend to think that they're going to be the right person for, for those types of companies because, you know, it's just part of the hiring process. I think if, if they put themselves in the other shoes of a hiring manager, if they had someone they were trying to hire, but they, you know, someone could talk a really, really good game. You know, some people are amazing at interviews. <laughs> you know, they're amazing at talking about themselves. Um, but yeah without any skills validation you have no idea whether that's just a very good salesperson of themselves or actually a very good person to hire um it's so i mean the other other way uh, i would also say is that we need to use that skills uh, validation moment and i've had to do some obviously myself and i've had people do them for me is you need to take that moment as a chance to research do best practices and really leverage that it's actually a moment where you can increase your abilities right it's not just a pointless yeah. exercise like that you can take that as a moment to say well this is the way i would approach it is that consistently aligned with best practices these mm -hmm. days is this something you know sometimes you get so sucked into day-to-day -day, yeah you don't necessarily have that industry view you don't necessarily have a chance to breathe and take a look out that can yeah. be a really interesting moment to, to develop yeah sure i think going back to something you said in, in your previous answer about some, not not meeting the team sometimes you know sometimes you go you know you're interviewing for a position and you 
don't even get the opportunity to meet the other team members that you're going to be working with on a day-to-day basis. Now, again, it leaves a huge risk of things not working out because it takes one person that you don't get along with or don't see eye to eye with. And that's why people leave positions. People don't leave companies. People leave managers and peers, right? You know, you leave, you generally leave positions because managers aren't great. They're not you know, don't have the visions that you have. They don't let you have the visions that you want to, or, you know, your peers, you don't get along with them. They don't see eye to eye with you and things like that. Obviously there's other, other reasons that do come into play. Um, but it's, you know, I see some crazy interview processes before. And I think, as you said, I think the the longer the processes go, no matter who you're talking to and with, there's a lot of repeat, um, repeat questions, um, repeat topics that you're discussing, you know, a lot of the time you'll speak. I think the introductory call is something that's a bit of a gray area for me. Um, mm. because I, th- I think we, we as a business now use some video software, um, that gives us the chance to, um, send like snippets of candidates answering some interview questions to a hiring manager before they actually meet them. Now it's designed purely to eliminate a lot of time spent in introductory like half an hour calls and something like that because yeah i think from an introductory call you get a feel for them you get to speak to them it's never really too technical it's just about the general experience now if you could if you can put all of that footage or all of that interaction that you'd have in that half an hour into a five minute condensed video how much time do you you know how much time do you save with with uh with interviewing tons and tons of candidates because you've probably done it you know we've definitely done it where you interview someone you speak to them for about five minutes and you instantly know, mm, you know, <laughs> I don't think this person's going to be right for us. Um, but at the end, yeah, end of the day, you still interview them because you want to give them a fair chance. You never know. It could change. You could, they could change your opinion, but generally you just want to make it a fair point. You know, you don't want to just end it after five minutes because you don't think they're right. So, you know, all of that time wasted with candidates is eliminated by that. Um, but I, I do get the point of having introduction calls. What I don't get the point of <laughs> is, necessarily is the introductory call that we do so like me for for instance i'm working with the client i have an introductory call for about 45 minutes an hour with the candidate to qualify them screen them etc i'll then send over all the notes that i've taken on the candidate you know during the conversation summarize everything they've been doing most recently i.e you know their best achievement their recent project salary expectations notes period etc like details like that but then they have to go from that call, which is pretty much the same, and then go to a HR call, <laughs> um, which adds, I think, an unnecessary stage in that aspect. But I definitely think an introductory call with a hiring manager is still worth it for sure. Um, but I think there's so many clients I've worked with and, and currently work with um, that you know still have HR calls after the call that I've had with them. Um, I get why they're doing it, but I don't think it adds any value to the the interview process and i think it's an additional step that doesn't necessarily have to be there but i mean what are your thoughts on that yeah it's a very good question and it's uh something i've seen and it's worse be a repeat as you noted mm. at its best where uh the, the an hr person and hr uh partner can do really well is actually bring as much of your the hiring manager's perspective into the forefront as possible Mm. right so if you make that moment actually already a moment where you talk about problem solving situations where are difficult moments how have you handled them how Mm. have you where team breaks down just they don't have to be extensive they're certainly not going to be the level of um, uh, of conversation that i expect to have with somebody Mm. but if you can bring even a touch of that together 
you you succeed a lot yeah. right yeah there's something really good there but that it all depends on on that yeah. the, that person skill sets and yeah. actually more how well the hr managers communicated mm. to that person what exactly their needs yeah. are. yeah yeah i think it i think it's a, a tough one because I, I i value you know i work with a lot of hr partners and I, I value them because they're they're obviously there to to do that job and also screen candidates as well i think the the bit that slows it down is obviously you know the way i work or try and work with clients as much as possible is that i have an equal understanding of the role the job the opportunity itself than the hr partner will so i try and eliminate a step that i i deem to be unnecessary if i'm going to speak to them and pitch the role to them they're excited about it they want to learn more you know there's nothing that the hr partner isn't going to tell them about the company that you wouldn't tell them in the, about the company in the in that introductory call right and that's that's my that's my viewpoint on it because I think it is a unnecessary step because generally these introductory calls could be anywhere between, you know, half hour to an hour. Right. Um, the exact same timeline that Michael was going to be with them and talking about the exact same things, you know, if, if the hiring manager, this is why I think from, from my recruiter perspective it is best to have direct contact with the hiring manager um, because then it eliminates that extra step that has to happen because if i know okay i'd say Shashi, what are you looking for tell me what you're looking for tell me what you'd like to know about this person to give you a better impression or allow you to make an informed decision on them and this is where the video technology comes into really good hand because obviously i can take notes and you know screen them and, and take notes from that but you could ask me these are the three key areas that i need to know about them um you know problem solving etc whatever it might be um and then i can literally send them i can jump on here and just record it i can jump on uh, i can send them something called a solo interview which then allows them to um literally record themselves speaking about the, those questions and i think that's where there's so much time money as well and <laughs> effort saved um in that particular process but yeah that's my view so, time <laughs> uh, is a important things also candidate time right these mm. the more hurdles the worse right especially if you, there's a quality person that you want to get mm. on board uh one hybrid approach i've seen uh, that has worked well is the hr uh partner works uh, interviews with the hiring manager at the same time mm. i thought that worked really well because you get mm. the advantage yeah. of having a say an alternate perspective somebody to spar with get some feedback yeah. and challenge your assessment with mm. ideally that's also mm. happening and um at the same time, you skip that step, right? Mm. That, that's actually the best model I've seen so far. So a combination yeah. of video interview and, mm. uh, and this relationship, that's worked pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it does. It does take out the fact that you have to schedule two interviews because <clears throat> the difference between the first that you know, if I spoke to someone, pass them on HR call, pass them on your introductory call with them, that can take two weeks three weeks sometimes been on availability so you've lost you know two three you've lost two very important weeks of trying to secure someone that's probably going to have three four other offers <laughs> that are coming in very very quickly so yeah okay cool last question for you shashi mm -hmm. um it's a bit of a funny topic if you like <laughs> um but i wanted to just ask you have you had any you know what what horror stories have you seen and what's the worst thing you've seen during interview you interviewing someone or you interviewing for a for a company <laughs> yeah, um when i was interviewing somebody though um there were there was at least one instance that was a, a complete catastrophe actually two uh similar <laughs> ideas so the first was uh talking to somebody initial intros went okay and then 
during their explanation of their some some experience that they've had, they went into a 10 minute and I just let this happen because I really want to know where it goes. 10 minute complaint about everything that happened and all the other stakeholders who did something wrong. It was astounding. Yeah. It was a theater performance. I was like, what the hell is going on here? And it was amazing. So uh, to the point, and this is kind of crazy, to the point where you could tell their voice was cracking a bit, <laughs> like near tears. I was like, what the, like, whoa. Yeah. Um, it was completely astounding. The uh, I kind of let them let them breathe through this because it turned out into a moment where I was like, okay, this person really needs to let something out here. Um, so I just yeah. gave them space with a half hour call, so not not the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, but I also try to make sure I contact them on LinkedIn and actually said like, can we talk for a second? Mm. Because what you just did exploded any chance you have. Mm, mm. If you're gonna do that forward, you're going to destroy every opportunity. Yeah, sure. Like taking a moment to give that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but that was, like I said, theatrical, like, <laughs> yeah. Korean, you know, you're like, good, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, obviously I assume that person didn't get the job, but, um, <laughs> um, no, I, it's a, it's an interesting, but it happens more often than not. I think the, there is a massive issue in interviews to, it becomes a bit of a slating session, if you like, of just, mm -hmm. they ask you about it's, it usually comes from the question, so why, you know, why are you looking to leave your employer or something like that? What what motivates you to leave? What are the issues you're facing? And it becomes a, yeah, it just becomes a session of you just literally going into, you know, digging people out and um, it becomes a bit toxic at that point. Whereas I think those types of questions, they're, they're designed to see how you react to it. Um, I think you it's, it's designed to show how you approach difficult question um and talking about diff difficult scenarios that you've seen but it's about obviously dealing with it in a mature manner as much as possible um highlighting the problems and just saying you know this this these were the issues that i saw you know maybe i had con contrasting opinions i don't feel like my manager's giving me enough opportunity to express but then it's about trying to create a learning opportunity at that point i think of flipping essentially flipping the question a little bit on the hiring manager at that point and saying you know what what could you do differently in this scenario what do you what do you offer that you know the company i can't i'm working with at the moment i think it leads me on to a little bit of a next topic which we don't have time to discuss too much about but um about hiring nice. manager yeah so go on yeah sure so one of the pronouns that i'm looking for in that moment actually specifically is we mm. so in that moment where you say like the challenge is okay somebody around you messed up you something happened that was negative how are you responding to it the it's a tricky thing because in an interview you have to use the word i to kind of mm. stand out a little bit but at some point you need to demonstrate a we mindset or mm. ideally use that pronoun to say we handled it this way mm. right and if you're able to get to that moment you show me something quite quite productive right mm. and something uh something really important about the way you would handle difficult situations specifically about also creating the partnerships and creating the the kind of collective energy you need to move something forward mm never individual failure like we failed right and like that, yeah go forward yeah. nobody cares what happened internally mm. the outside world that was the customer the external mm. partner they didn't get it they, they didn't get what they needed so yeah no it's a very good point and yeah i completely agree um the last little bit i wanted to say was um 
yeah, about how competitive the market is at the minute. I think hiring managers and companies need to realize that it's kind of flipped at the minute for interviews, to be honest. It's a lot more about them selling themselves as a business and then an employer than, than having the candidate selling themselves to them. Because I think, yes, of course, you have to, it's still the same process. You still have to see whether this particular candidate is going to be good enough to join you. However, there are so many exciting roles at the minute, so many exciting businesses in very similar sectors the salaries packages you know they're forever increasing it's you know it's going going with the times of inflation at the moment you know salaries are massively increasing on average so i think from an employer's perspective it's equally as important and i think it's equally as important not to have very generic unique selling points about your business um i think yeah i think it's such an easy tendency for companies to go you yeah, know this is why we're great we offer free fruit and stuff in the office we're like every office does that right um but i think it's about cutting the the shit a little bit at that point and saying that you know this is why we are a great company this is why we're a great team um these are i think it's about also talking about personal opinions because i think people appreciate personal opinions much more than just generic usps about companies i think it's about talking about personal opinions you know this is why i decided to join here and this is what i've seen happen these are the challenges we're facing at the moment um but this is why i believe us to be better than a competitor this is why i believe us to be the best company to work for at the moment because of x and y and z as i said i think the tendency is just to revert back to the the standard unique selling points (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, specificities, uh, you're absolutely right. The two things I would say is, one, be honest about where you are, because if you are in a bit of a challenging situation, mm. then you need to sell the or be very clear about the opportunity to be a change agent, be a person that can move the team forward or like be clear about your expectations of the role, right? It serves both purposes. Mm. And the people who want to be that the, the dynamic movement and mm. move it forward, be it a change agent, do those kinds of things. Yeah. You are doing them. For others, you don't. Mm. The second thing is uh, around this is being like an interview, being specific about your examples, right? Tell me you have a development budget, like, or like, you know, educational mm. budget or something. Cool. <laughs> but like, tell me yeah. about like where, like, when is the last person, one of your direct reports actually used it? Yeah. Or what? Like, what did you feel like that mm. was useful for? Did you feel like that was a good uh, value for what they did, mm. et cetera? Like, it needs to be concrete, right? Yeah. Again, like, yeah. fruit, ping pong tables, et cetera. Those days are long over, right? Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Cool. Well, look, thanks very much for your time, Shashi. Massively, massively appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Um, if anyone's watching this that wants a uh, director of product in their company, Shashi is your man. <laughs>